HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Today I have the unusual honor of interviewing a very special author, Patrick Martins, who wrote The Carnivore's Manifesto. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Diane. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) You're very welcome. And he's in studio, which I, of course, love, probably because he works right around the corner. And uh, let me explain to the few listeners who may not know why you are so special on this radio station. Um, You wrote the book with Mike Edison, but uh, you started this radio station in 2008, and Patrick also had started Heritage Foods in 2002. Also, another claim to fame for our Cutting the Curd audience is that Patrick is married to our show's originator, Anne Saxelby. So, Patrick, what's it like to be a guest on your own station? Um, well, I, at least you let me have my host chair, the one I always <laughs> use. So I do feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, it's kind of indented, just perfect to my uh, butt, even though I haven't been here in a long time, which uh-huh. is great. And, um, no, it's just very, very nice to be here. And I'm so proud of the station. And I actually have very little to do with the day-to-day. I'm on the board of directors. Mm-hmm. And I do you know, meet with Aaron probably once or twice a, a day for 10 seconds or 10 mm-hmm. minutes uh, but uh, it's just unbelievable what a great job she's done and her team uh, Jack and Allison and Liz and mm-hmm. it's just a, a tremendous tremendous achievement it's great to be a host on the show great. and it's a good thing you didn't take my host chair because then we would have had a fight <laughs> <laughs> why do you like to hide back there I like well, to I look like at hiding. the restaurant well, I like- remember I was the first one to do 200 episodes so all oh. this time sometimes it's nice to be hidden that's true. That's true. Okay. So, um, questions about the book. Okay. 
And this is a book review show, so we have to get down to it. I'm ready. Uh, what inspired the book for you? Well, it's interesting. I Basically, uh, it's a 52 to 3 page essays. Mm-hmm. is basically this book, right. plus an introduction and a conclusion. So uh, that is the way when I got into the food world for the first time, I wrote my master's thesis on the politics of medieval food sculptures in England and France in the 14th and 15th century. And then uh, I met Carlo Petrini the summer after I had graduated um, from the Tisch School. And he's like, wow, I love what you wrote your thesis on. And he loved uh, Rabelais, you know, the and Gargantua, these old kind of cop- comic book figures from medieval times and he loved hearing all about this and he asked me to uh to come and work with him in italy and so basically for a year i traveled around with him throughout italy and throughout the united states but also i was right in the same office as him so Mm -hmm. i heard everything he ever said and i heard it a million times because i heard all his phone conversations Mm -hmm. when people would come visit and all the multiple speeches he made you speak italian yes i Mm -hmm. do and he's a great uh uh you know, he's a great one-liner. You know, he's he's got a million one-liners, and mm-hmm. they ring totally true. And they talk about you know biodiversity or about people or capitalism or communism. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything he says is so crystal bell clear. And I always appreciated that he got things, um, you know, very short and succinct. And through my travels with Soul Food, I got to meet other people like Alice Waters and other Michael Pollan. And and so this book is kind of an accumulation of those one-liners mm-hmm. of those ideas. Plus some of my own mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, enlarged into one or two pages. Are some of the chapter titles his one-liners? No, no. I mean, they're just inspired by okay. it. I mean, also 15 years ago uh, when we were first talking about these things. things were all, different. Yeah, things were different. Mm-hmm. It was pre-internet and this and that mm-hmm. uh, for most people. So, um, but, you know, everything is inspired by him. Like my merchants matter, you know, the mm-hmm. importance of middlemen. I mean, mm-hmm. he never really said that, but I, I, I said. You know he'd agree. Yes. And I also learned how he said things, uh-huh. which are, you know, in <clears throat> short, succinct Mm-hmm. bits and sometimes i think especially when it comes to the sustainable food world um i read so many very long books and i mm-hmm. always wondered how much better they would be if they could be you know edited down to 10 pages right then all of a sudden it might be much more powerful and other people who are not part of the choir could maybe more easily use those talking points uh, right. to inspire other people mm-hmm. rather than, you know, uh, one idea that takes 200 pages. It just, uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to change the world that way because okay. it seems a lot of people don't read. So That's I true. also wrote this for all my well, friends this is who in don't bites. care. It's yes, in bites. Exactly. Yeah. So had you written any of the essays before? Because they really are essays and they mm-hmm. could stand alone. Yes. Heritage Foods is a distributor of about 50,000 pounds of rare and heritage breed meat a week. We have a wholesale business and also a mail order business. And the mail order business requires a weekly email. Oh. And so I, I did a lot of writing for that weekly email. Um, I also On political topics. Well, you know. Or on food topics. Yeah, as political as you get when you're trying to sell a 10 rib pork rack on the internet. <laughs> but, you know, talking about diversity and finding mm-hmm. ways uh, to succinctly write things. I mm-hmm. did once try to write a book. Um, I've written a couple of op-ed pieces for the New York Times. Um, and, you know, 
Heritage Foods is a business, but it's also a movement of sorts. So there's a lot of letter writing, whether it's a thank you letter where you're trying to summarize why you're thankful to someone for providing you meats or a mm-hmm. chef. Uh, you know, we, we ended up writing. We're always trying to inspire people to mm-hmm. eat less factory farm meats. Mm-hmm. So you have to write a lot to do that. Did you write a proposal or did someone find you and suggest the book? Actually, thanks to All Good Things Come Through Anne. Whenever anyone is like, how do you do it with Patrick? I'm like... I am married to Anne Saxony. Someone <laughs> likes me. So um, Anne introduced me to Angela Miller, who's mm-hmm. a uh, publisher, or she's an agent, but she also is a cheesemaker. She owns Consider Bardwell Farm. So she invited me to draw up a proposal. And uh, for years, I was trying to, you know, I had a, some version of a proposal that was being thrown around and edited by other people, but they all came from food people. And as a result, they just couldn't break out of the way that food writing happens, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, talking about long bottlenecks and the slaughterhouse system and how in 1974 this law was passed that made it harder. And no, that's not the way ideas are should be put out there to the non-converted, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they need to be manifesto-ish, I think. Mm-hmm. And so... Hence the name. Hence the name, exactly, <laughs> which is real cool. I thought that they wanted to name it that. And so that's mm-hmm. why I love my co-writer, Mike Edison. Mm-hmm. He, you know, came from, uh, you know, a very prolific writer. You mm-hmm. know, the most prolific writing is the porn industry. I mean, they have so many movies and books that that, that industry produces. It's easy for a writer to get uh, work that way. So he would write millions of things. He had so much experience writing. But he also wrote about wrestling. And mm-hmm. he wrote, he was the editor-in-chief of high times he wrote for hustler Mm -hmm. you know so he had all this experience and that was just the kind of racy Mm -hmm. energy Mm -hmm. that the sustainable food movement needed okay but i hear your voice in most of the chapters i mean i hear your your turn of the phrase even but the co-writer is the is the fabric it's the thread of the fabric and so that he was able to pull he's he expanded the vocabulary that i use he brought in music references Mm -hmm. um you know but how did the actual process work he basically came to my house mm-hmm. once or twice a week, okay. every week for a year. Oh, wow. Sometimes okay. he would watch me drink at a bar. Sometimes he would watch <laughs> me light up a big joint. Sometimes he would watch me like fight with him or fight with chefs on the phone, whatever it was, you know, distributors. But uh, he and I were able to get along, and he's very direct like me. So. Okay. I would yell at him if he was late. He would yell at me if I wasn't making any sense. But okay. it was, in the end, a very mm-hmm. good collaborative effort. And by the way, it's a great talent, a co-writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everyone's like, oh, I want to write a book. But that's not right. Most people should write a book with a co-writer. With someone who knows what they're doing. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. Anne is a brilliant. She, she can draw. She can write. She can do all this stuff. Yes, she wants to write a book by herself. But I think everyone has a book in them. Mm-hmm. But most people need to rely on a talented co-writer. They can bring out their best. Mm-hmm. Were you an English major at Vassar? No, but I always had a good vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, my I speak four languages, three languages, three and a half. My mom speaks six. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Latin roots, all the romance languages. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but I did enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. 
But now, what did you say your master's thesis was on? My master's thesis was in the performance studies department. And basically, the performance studies wanted to look at the world through the lens of performance, just like sociology looks at the oh, world okay. through the lens of group dynamics, okay. anthropology through people relations, economy through economics. Performance as an artistic performance. Yeah, well, it basically sort of. says, I mean, it's one of its core concepts. This is a discipline that uh, became a discipline in the late 70s. Guys like Richard Schechner and Barbara Kirschenbach, Gimblet and Brooks McNamara were the founders of the department. And it basically, I mean, simply says that we have behavior strips in our head. And much like hitting play on a recorder, when someone asked me, you know, what was it like writing the book? Or mm -hmm. how many kids do you have? You're mm -hmm. not really... Uh, improving that you're mm -hmm. basically hitting play on some behavior strip like the old editing mm -hmm. footage right. you know where it would like fall on the editing room floor and you basically reperform a lot of pre-performed behaviors and 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 routines scripts you mm -hmm. might have a long one mm -hmm. you might piece them together differently but uh basically that's the theory of it so it was a great discipline to look at food and mm -hmm. food as performance and the theater of the restaurant or of the main mm -hmm. course and of course medieval feasts were the most gluttonous mm -hmm. example of that so it's kind of fun to look at them plus spices and coffee and chocolates were new to those mm -hmm. cultures so you can imagine how exciting it was but did you say food sculpture mm -hmm. in in medieval feasts. Yes, the nobility <laughs> often used food uh -huh. sculptures. Like, was that meat often? Yes, it could be meat. It could be marzipan okay. that is still lives on today mm -hmm. as a food sculpture. It's basically a display of conspicuous consumption mm -hmm. that the wealthy mm -hmm. used to either intimidate or subdue or mm -hmm. rally their guests. I mean, I think Catherine Medici was famous for having a bankrupt guest. Uh, basically monarchy but because she threw all these great parties no one ever <laughs> wanted to conquer <laughs> yeah they all wanted to be invited to the parties that was a, a political tool mm -hmm. and you know before then it was interesting they might make a marzipan uh, rendering of constantinople to try mm -hmm. to encourage mm -hmm. all these nobles to go on a crusade and they'll say we'll oh, take the city and then idea. they eat the concept they eat Ooh. it they swallow it they shit it out <laughs> it couldn't become more them <laughs> Okay. I remember uh, my son had a favorite book on medieval feasts, and we would look at the mm. the tabletop and all the, the, you know, what was it? They had Turducken a salt, yeah. Or... Well, the most expensive item on any medieval table was the nef, which they put salt on, because uh -huh. salt was like salary. It was a kind of, right. you know, monetary Money. thing. And then their wine, the thing that spouted the wine was always very expensive. Mm. But then, yeah. Then it was also something powerful about making, putting so much effort into something that would be eaten, that mm -hmm. would last so little. It really mm -hmm. showed the power of the. So anyway, it was just a small okay. smidgen of the entire food history world, but it was fun. No one had really written about it before. Right. And it was great. I mean, it seemed like karma or some energy mm -hmm. was pushing me to do that because Carlo Petrini, when he met me for those 10 minutes, we were so fascinated by that topic that, that uh, he, took he invited you under me. His yeah. And mm -hmm. then I ran with it. From so it there. was very fortuitous. Yes. So who is this book for? Who do you wish would read it? Well, to me, first and foremost, uh, anyone who ever was moved and fell in love and admired the book Animal Liberation by Peter Singer, mm -hmm. which is a real seminal book in 1975. I mean, it's on the level of the omnivore's dilemma or mm -hmm. fast food nation. Peter Singer's book was about animal rights. Mm -hmm. And he was basically, well, part of half the book was against factory farms and the other half was against 
um, experimentation on animals for medicine or shampoo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And it changed mm-hmm. the world. Hmm. And it became, he became the kind of grandfather of the vegetarian movement. Okay. And uh, is a very powerful guy. And at the time, his argument was we shouldn't eat meat. Mm-hmm. So now, fast forward 30, 40 years later with all these sustainable farms and with a better understanding of agriculture and how better or not, we do eat a lot of meat in this mm-hmm. country. So mm-hmm. maybe it's an idea that we need to come to grips with rather than try to stop. I mean, I don't know how mm-hmm. many tens of billions of hamburgers get eaten each year. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, fast forward 40 years later from that book, and I would love the people who were moved by that book to see that this is a celebration of his idea because it's all about animal rights. But keeping the meat. But it also talks the- about meat. And it also talks about an active intervention mm-hmm. for change. Yes. An active intervention. And that this radio station is an example of that. Heritage Foods is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Active interventions to change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. Not so much discussing. Mm-hmm. And that's why we say your merchant matters. If you cannot name five people who you buy food from, then you're not part of the sustainable mm-hmm. food movement. Mm-hmm. People are like, that's outrageous. But right. it's true. Whole Foods is a fantastic contribution. But if that's where you're doing all your shopping, you're mm-hmm. not going to your beer distributor or your dairy lady Mm -hmm. you know all that has the book gotten you speaking engagements on the food issues you care about yes i mean i'm going to do speak at the svf foundation next friday it is a basically i need to find a nicer way of saying it it's a seed bank for livestock genetics okay so that a thousand years from now people could still uh, no matter what happens to the world, uh, if that bank is preserved, they can still taste the Tunis lamb, which was the lamb bred by the first three U.S. presidents. Or they could taste the red wattle mm-hmm. pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very important because you never want to have your only hope on the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, science, if science mm-hmm. can help protect uh, and freeze some sperm for us, then that actually speaks very positively about the future and mm-hmm. preserving biodiversity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do a bunch of speaking events. I mean, we did a book tour. Uh, I was on NPR uh, mm-hmm. with Leonard Lopate, which was an honor. And mm. yeah, so exciting. I worry that you may be preaching to the choir, which you mentioned before. Is this book too inflammatory to convince the bad guys? Um, well, that's interesting. I do think that the bad guys probably don't care enough about this book. I don't know if this book is going to make enough of a ruckus or ripple effect for them to even be concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely truthful. I mean, this book, I, I say it's not so much opinion. That's what I always loved about Carlo is he would never speak past facts. Mm-hmm. You know, and it sounds outrageous to be like someone speaks in facts. But I think these are truths. I mean, but the, I'm sure some people, some of the people who you'd like to convince will not experience them as facts. But I mean, you know that they do genetically modify livestock on factory farms to suffer a bit. That's the oh. truth. Oh, there was some bad, bad facts in there. Yeah. Bad facts. Temple Grandin says, you know, if uh, if we didn't eat pigs they would just be funny looking animals in zoos Mm -hmm. that's a fact Mm -hmm. um you know the vegetarian movement should uh you know encompass constructive solutions against factory farms that's you know Mm -hmm. a little bit opinion but Mm -hmm. also Mm -hmm. fact uh, that animals have feelings and that they're creative and that they Mm -hmm. need natural outlets that's a fact so uh, that's why i I kept everything to two pages Mm because at two pages you can actually write 
I think, an idea that is foolproof. Mm-hmm. I think people might not like it. And most of all, people <laughs> might not care. That's the big thing. And I don't know if I got them to care, but that's mm-hmm. why we tried to do it with a, a sense of humor. Slow food is uh, is should be treated like fast food, mm-hmm. quick stuff, mm-hmm. sustainable, mm-hmm. even if it's peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Um, poor people should never be told to eat turkey meat that has been fed antibiotics its mm-hmm. whole life mm-hmm. that it can't walk or mate naturally that's an ethical mm-hmm. thing that you're telling poor people to do it's a health thing that you're mm-hmm. telling people to do that's true i mean i don't think that 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 could or should be argued but i mean obviously people might not like parts of the book that meat is seasonal just mm-hmm. like fruits like and vegetables let's get to that topic after the break we have okay. to take a break now it's Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. I have Patrick Martins in the studio, and we'll be back very soon. You are listening to Balloons by Jack Inslee. This is Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Dairy Farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, it's Diane Stemple back on Cutting the Curd with Patrick Martins. I was just thinking about your subtitle, Eating Well, Eating Responsibly, and Eating Meat. Yes, but is that only focusing on the individual focus of your book? I feel there's a larger food politics issue. You would like to change uh, the meat industry, if not the whole food industry. True? Yes. I mean, I would like it. I mean, basically, I think this is the greatest vegetarian manifesto written in recent times because it's saying (laughs) if it's factory farm food, you shouldn't eat it. Right. Just don't eat it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to be eating less meat in this country. We everybody knows that Mm -hmm. we all secretly know or uh, publicly know that meat has to cost a little bit more. Mm hmm. And, and and that people might need to eat less of it. That's the goal anyway. Is there a word yet for a person who only eats uh, heritage meat? Ooh, no, but oh, I would like you to up. find one. Let's yeah, that's one a great up. question. <laughs> Heritageitarian? A her- heritageitarian. I like that. I'll leave that to Liz in the studio. She can, uh, maybe that exists already. Because um, you make up that other word. Yes, yes. Now, I had trouble with that. I I kept wanting to say terroir, and 
not knowing how you pronounced it. Yeah, tet for French, the French for head. head tet. Right, I well, got it. Yeah, the knowledge of uh, <laughs> the knowledge of, of craftsmen. Uh huh. Skills. Okay, so so describe that essay. Describe what you're talking about. Well, there's certain cities in Venezuela that just produce tons of great baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows. That would be an example of tetwar okay. in action. Okay. Um, you know, a number of great ideas have come out of um, this this radio station. Right. Projects. Right. Events. Policy mm-hmm. changes in, mm-hmm. in, in in state governments. Uh, monies have been put. That that's because. Monies have been put towards certain projects. That's because there's a tetwar. This mm-hmm. is like a hotbed of information that builds on each other. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I think Jared Diamond wrote about it in Guns, Germs, and Steels, where there's a lot of people, you have a lot of competition, you have a lot of information exchanges, mm-hmm. and, and that society with the high population just goes faster, bigger, broader. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts writing, it has libraries, you know, whereas if you're just waiting in the middle of the desert for one community to all of a sudden invent the car mm-hmm. or a gun, it just doesn't happen through spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's basically what that chapter says, is that we need to not only look at the soil, mm-hmm. but we also have to look at the skill sets An and the example, mental, the well, mental aspects. Wine and beer is a perfect example. Wine mm-hmm. is base, place based, mm-hmm. plus tetwar because mm-hmm. you have the winemaker. Beer is a hundred percent tetwar. It's uh, it's not space place specific. Okay, you can make a because you buy style. your ingredients. Well, you still buy the ingredients, and I'm sure. What about water? Water is a good one. No, but a beer, you can make a German-style beer here in America just Mm -hmm. as well as you could in Germany. That's why it's not so place-based. Water uh, is actually might not have a tetwar. Okay. Maybe it does, unless it's a sparkling water. But doesn't it contribute, like, to bagels in New York? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Good. (laughs) Knowing, yes, it's part of the tetwar. It's part of it. It's part of it. So what? where do you see things changing first in the world of, of food politics? And what would you? What do you think we should be working on? Well, I definitely know it's it's. I mean, where do I see it? Um, I mean, I think we should be working like that guy from who won the Nobel Prize for the micro loans. Mm-hmm. It's all like that. Aaron came to Aaron Fairbanks is the executive producer, or executive director of the Heritage Radio Network. Right. I gave her. Uh, she came and said, I'm looking for work just for a few months. I'm like, it's the middle of the summer. Why don't you call all these goat da- goat dairies, goat mm-hmm. farms around New England, and try to start a goat project that seasonally sells all these goats from all those dairies. And six months later, to she, eat had, them. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had a thousand goats from 15 famous mm-hmm. dairies sold to 80 to 100 restaurants in New York. That sounds like the future to me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's still strange that Heritage Foods remains the largest national distributor of rare meats. I was sure that within the past 10 years, There'd some company would have Another big us. company. Yeah, big amount. But I think, you know, investors are a little weary of the meat world and um, are also a little weary, perhaps, of investing in something that like PETA and, and, and groups like that are very much against. But we are part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So I think it will happen in small projects, hipster cocktail bars or mm-hmm. uh, guys killing chickens in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, uh, okay. for 
for meat. Um, we touched on this already, but I want to expand on it. How can we get vegetarians or even vegans t- on board with the larger message? Well, I mean, it's absolutely a fact that animals, uh, by, by fighting just to stop eating meat, mm-hmm. by, by saying no one should eat meat, mm-hmm. all that's happening directly is that more animals suffer on factory farms. Mm-hmm. It's in a way... Uh, uh, th- those are the big companies. We need to be our real enemies are Purdue, mm-hmm. Smithfield, mm-hmm. IBP, where all the animals suffer. Fight with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't take the foie gras guy who has 50 ducks with you. It's not mm-hmm. a battle worth fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not enough harm happening there. So I just think people should be more um, aggressive against the people that are committing real crimes. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to do that is to be very proactive about that group. Mm -hmm. By the way, I spoke at a Museum of Food and Drink panel, Mm -hmm. and I was on the panel with Peter Singer. And Peter Singer said, well, Patrick, you could never feed the world with your thing right now. I mean, with your project with Heritage Foods USA, it's just not (laughs) big enough. But if all the food was produced like that, the way you're saying, all the factory farm meats, then that's 99% of my battle against factory farms would be fought, would be ended right there. That 1% being, of course, that in the end we do kill the animal. Right. But to hear that from Peter Singer, 99%. Could that was be. A, that would be his whole battle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're pasture raised. Mm-hmm. They have access to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, they're you not fed medicine. that happening? Do you see that? Yes. It's definitely going in the direction of Mm -hmm. humane Mm -hmm. treatment. Temple Grandin did all that work. The Nyman Ranch did all Mm -hmm. that work. Paul Willis out in Iowa really pushed for that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, actors, movie actors, I think, are fighting for it. That's true. What is her name? The actress uh, who played the swan, the black swan. Natalie Portman. Yes. She is made... uh, is making a movie on Jonathan Safran Foyer's book, Eating Animals. Oh, great. So they've been to Frank's farm to mm-hmm. film, Frank Reese's farm. So, yes, I absolutely do think it's changing. So you think there's a groundswell? There's a groundswell, and there's more independent people like myself just mm-hmm. starting a business mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just sells the right types of chicken. Mm-hmm. And that's really powerful. It's now, certainly not moving in the other direction. Right. One of your chapters is called Revolutionaries Wanted Inquire Within. Yes. What can the regular eating and cooking person do? You know, not in the food industry. Well, um, you know, ultimately, there's no better place to fight back against the evils of the industrial food complex than at your own table with You're your own family. You're reading the book. He's no, reading the this book. This is from the top of my head. <laughs> I see your eyeballs on that page. Let your ki- I have a lazy eye. Let your kitchen be our Lexington and your pantry be our Concord. The revolution begins at home. And that's why, even if you can't raise an army of activists, mm-hmm. we challenge you to change just one mind. Perhaps you can convince your rich brother-in-law that feeding his kids processed food every day is a bad idea. That's a good idea. The Carnivore's Manifesto is not about assuaging a liberal guilty conscience. It's about eating better, feeling better, and having more fun. Remind that brother-in-law that good, fresh food is not the only road to a healthier future for his kids, but it also goes better with this fine wine than that supermarket crap he's in the habit of eating. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I want you to now talk about, without turning the page, what you say 
about knowing who you buy your food from because I think that's a really good point. And I even paranoidly thought, oh, my God, do I do I know those people? Mm-hmm. I finally came up with them. But I want mm-hmm. you to talk about that. You know, being able to, to know who your purveyors are. Yes. It's just that, um, you know, there's – the fabric of every day, there's, there's sometimes, I know some people that all they ever talk about is just what they're doing, how, mm-hmm. oh, so now I'm going to take the subway and I need to be there at 645. And are you going to meet me there? Okay, so you're going to meet me there at 645 and that'll give us 10 minutes to get to that place. And that's all. That's actually their whole life. And, mm-hmm. and, and with time and with email and with the phones and technology, that becomes everything. A hundred percent. I see couples. Of, and what would you like instead? the the banter at in line at your cheesemonger mm-hmm. the saying i'm going to walk five extra blocks to go to my my wine guy because who i know yes who i know and who hooks me up and mm-hmm. who gets me that little taste who turns me on to a sale who tells me not to buy something because in a week something better is going to come mm-hmm. and all these people work uh, more relationship oriented yeah they go they work all this to make money you know the goldman sachs kind of mantra you know of the world make all the money you can and then spend it the the way you want mm-hmm. and uh and give some away perhaps and you know get congratulations when i think it's much more important to have that kind of expectation exist in your everyday social life mm-hmm. the quotidian and that you do get treated special mm-hmm. through actual facetime mm-hmm. and then when you go to that same neighborhood restaurant that you always go to a couple of times a month guess what the chef's coming out they're bringing they you, you free they like desserts you. they're testing things out on mm-hmm. you and and you never wait in line that's everything but you're special no i think that happens <laughs> through consistency all good places happen through mm-hmm. consistency mm-hmm. i went to some like i always remember pj clark's on 55th and third they never bought from us and yet uh, by the fifth time i had come in there i got a handshake from across the bar and uh and you know mm. they knew my drink mm. uh, they knew how i liked it that's the same for everybody Okay. Not because I'm special and you're special. Everybody's special. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend that parents do for, you know, you have two kids. They're they're pretty little. But what do you envision doing as your kids get older in terms of teaching them about food? Well, that's an interesting question. We did write, write a children's story, Chapter 48. Or 49 was a children's fairy tale. Oh, I can tell you didn't I get found, that far. I did. I found it v- way too positive. Wait, what do you mean? I was afraid it was going to have a bad ending. What do you mean? You wanted the small businesses to fail? No, I was afraid they were going to fail. Well, I know. Well, that I, makes I was a good afraid, story. Like, oh, no. the What is it? The everything machine? Yes. I, <laughs> did was, you like Anne Saxelby's drawings in the book? She yes, I did. She made the five drawings. Yes, I did. Um, bas- He's giving me a test here. <laughs> basically... Um, I think that the best thing to teach kids is from chapter 48, which, let me interrupt you, I'll just say what the title is, don't don't forget to feast. You're interrupting yourself, not me. Uh, Yes, uh, don't forget to feast. Um, Oh, okay. I didn't remember the title. And, uh, you know, we just think that it's pleasure. Slow Food was a great nonprofit organization and the first of its kind in the U.S. because it was a food movement, a food organization that talked about pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it looked as gastronomy as a science. And this is an example of an idea that I learned from Carlo and I attribute this to him. 
Gastronomy is a science, just like performance studies or sociology or psychology. And it has rights and wrongs, and there's truths in it. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, it's about quality. It's about learning. You don't know what gastronomy is or what's a great wine until you've tried a bunch of them mm-hmm. and you see these things come out. So I would think that the best advice to give is treat gastronomy for what it really is. And big gulps are not a part of that. Mm-hmm. Big Macs are not a part of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, trying different kinds of anchovies is. <laughs> okay. Do we only vote with our pocketbooks, and can we afford to go all good food, all slow food, all healthy food? Well, luckily for me, I stick to what I know and with meat because mm-hmm. I'm a meat distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, my first project with slow food was a heritage turkey project that mm-hmm. tried to increase the population of rare breeds of turkeys, the kind mm-hmm. that we were not eating anymore. Mm-hmm. So they were actually on the brink of extinction. So when it comes to meat, absolutely, 100%. Mm-hmm. We should be eating less meat. Mm-hmm. We should be eating more ground meat because mm-hmm. a little bit of ground can go a longer way. Talk a little bit about that. You're big on grinding meat for a way for farmers to survive and a good way for people to eat expensive meat. Well, it is the uh, well, it is the true cost of meat. It's not mm-hmm. more expensive. The 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 inexpensive meat, the wrong priced meat, is the sixty nine cent a pound turkey. Okay, that, that's that's what's okay. wrong. Uh, Five dollars, seven dollars okay. is the correct price for meat. Um, so ground grinding helps. Uh, um, basically, it's the best food portion cost in the meat world. Because you now, own- does that mean you make the the farmer makes good money on ground meat? Uh, No, but if you bought a pound of ground Mm -hmm. and spent $10 on it, you're like, but I could spend three. Mm -hmm. But if you spend $10 on ground meat, you could make on a pound, you could make three big hamburgers with that. So for $10 you've fed three people. Okay. You know, whereas with the pork chop, Mm -hmm. Only one person will eat that chop. Right. So if that costs uh, $10 a pound, you're still only going to feed. So it's more cost effective. Yeah, it's more cost effective. It helps farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's at the foundation of every cuisine on Mm -hmm. the planet. Okay. I mean, from the Eskimos to people in Peru and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, north and south, everyone's eating ground meat. Vietnam, uh, Mm -hmm. hamburgers. I mean, grinding up meat. And basically, if more people ate more ground, we would probably be killing fewer animals. Mm -hmm. We would be, again, finding a very easy-to-use ingredient that people can easily afford, even if it was 10 times as much as the supermarket loss leader. Mm -hmm. And yes, if a farmer is selling stuff individually, and they're like a jack-of-all-trades and selling at the farmer market, any cut can get ground. Mm -hmm. Any cut. But isn't it less money for the farmer if they grind an expensive cut that's where oh, yes. i don't understand it mathematically no 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 that's good good very good question the uh the way it works is or do you like throw a, other things in no no you always have you pull out your best cuts mm-hmm. so for instance on the cow you pull out the ribeye mm-hmm. which is a 13 pound piece the strip mm-hmm. which is like a 10 pound piece you pull out maybe the hanger mm-hmm. and the inside skirt mm-hmm. and maybe the brisket mm-hmm. everything else grind it Mm-hmm. And then you're only working to sell five cuts in volume. Okay. And then or then you're trying to find a burger outlet or a hot dog or a meatball mm-hmm. company to buy everything else. And there's real power in that. Whereas if you tried to sell all 27 cuts of a cow, the farmer would go crazy trying to sell all those cuts equally. Mm-hmm. But yes, part of the using ground is first and foremost to pull out the most okay. expensive cuts. Okay. But by the way, even if you didn't, if you had a great ground outlet, you mm-hmm. could still put those 
more hmm. expensive cuts. That's not the goal, though. Okay. Your goal is okay. to be selling your ribeyes as ribeyes. I have another meat question yes, that you ma'am. just reminded me of that has nothing to do with the book. How come hanger steak and skirt steak used to be cheap and are now expensive? That is a very, very interesting question. I think it has something to do with the chefs okay. having found... Got popular? Yes, those mm-hmm. those cuts. And they're delicious. They're so good. But they used to be great because they were cheap. They were cheap, right. Well, that was a real find. I mean, for people like you who knew, that was the best deal of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the year. Now I think hanger steak is everywhere. Yeah. And plus it's a little bit... I like the, the texture of it. I used to have hanger steak at Sammy's Romanian Steakhouse. Ah. <laughs> and it would hang off the plate with the garlic on uh-huh. it. And I love the texture of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also only, I think, three pounds of hanger steak per cow. Oh, okay. So it's it's there's not enough of it, and that's it's why right it's over expensive. the diaphragm, right? Okay. And then the skirt is the next closest, but there's not that much of and that. And ox have oxtails gone up too? Yes, oxtails are very popular. Although I'm not a big braising fan, I uh-huh. always find that uh, you know cooking anything for 24 hours. Uh-huh. First of all, I think low and slow and braised cooking like that is what kills the slow food movement because right. everyone puts so much effort into every dish uh-huh. that they're not eating enough good meat. Well, but. and you're an impatient guy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I want to eat right away. Sometimes I have Chinese food delivered to me while I'm waiting for my food to cook. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Patrick, for coming on Cutting the Curd. It's been delightful to talk to you. Thank you. Um Everyone should read The Carnivore's Manifesto. It's a very enlightening book for all food people to read. This is Diane Stemple on Heritage Radio Network. I'll be back next month with Jimmy Carbone talking about his e-book, I Like Pig. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.